The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Sometimes someone hurts you so bad, it stops hurting at all. Until something makes you feel again. And then it all comes back. Every word. Every hurt. Every moment. How could you ever understand where I come from? Even if you ask, even if you listen, you do not really hear or see or feel. You don't remember my story. You haven't walked my path. You haven't seen what I've seen. I am lovable. I am worthy of care. In that glimmer of light, it makes all the difference. We live in a country and closer to home, a community, a city in crisis. Crisis where children are growing up in broken, but worse, in unstable homes where they're not, too many of our own kids, kids that we interact with are not getting the care, the, the parental care that they desperately need. And where you have entire groups of kids who feel disconnected, who feel like not only do they not have friends that they can connect with, but they don't even have adults that they can trust and rely on. And what this does is it leaves our communities where kids grow up feeling disconnected, feeling lost, like they have no place. And now let's bring that right in our own lives. We also have entire communities of individuals who feel disconnected. There is a, uh, a small uh, tribe in Mexico where there is a tradition that has been passed on generation after generation where none of the parents will have more than two children. And the reason they do this is because they believe that they cannot divide their love more than in half. So the idea goes like this. I only have so much love to give. And so my love is like a pie. And if you cut it more than in half, I, I can't give anymore. And that's so they only have two children to make sure that each parent is giving 100%, right? So that each child is getting their fair share of love. And so I, I think a lot of us have a similar mentality. Maybe you've had more than two children, or maybe you grew up in a family with lots of kids, but somehow you have this small pie mentality. There's only, there's only so much love to go around. There's only so much resource. There's only so much attention to go around. And so as a result, we spend our life competing with each other for some portion of a pie. And so then we compare ourselves with others. Well, why did they get that much? Or why was my sibling, why were they love more than me? And so because we compare, we then compete for our little limited share of the pie. And I feel like we're fighting to be loved, fighting to belong in the middle of a 
community, a city, maybe even a country that's so dysfunctional. You know, on our currency, there's a little Latin phrase. Maybe you've read it. Maybe you have no idea what it means. It goes like this, e pluribus unum. Most of you aren't Latin students, so I'll just give it to you. It means out of many, one. But right now, it feels like that phrase could be easily flipped, couldn't it? Out of one, seems like there's many. It feels like we're going in the wrong direction, right? Instead of unifying, it feels like we're more divided. Instead of coming together, it feels like we're scattered and, and broken. And, and so let me bring you back. I, our challenge is that most of us grow up feeling disconnected and disenfranchised, feeling like we don't know where we fit. Maybe you went to school and you felt rejected. Maybe you've been betrayed by a friend. Maybe you've been hurt by a broken promise. And so you and I, we carry this sense of hurt that I don't really feel like I deeply belong. Oh, we can connect with thousands of people nearly instantly online, and yet we connect rarely in a meaningful way. We can interact with people across the globe, and yet we rarely deeply know the people living in our own homes, in our own neighborhoods. We communicate freely with nearly anyone through social media, and yet we rarely feel like we can open up our hearts and lives to the people we should be able to trust the most. And so we go through life feeling like we don't really belong, we don't really know anyone, we don't really trust anyone. We've broken, fractured relationships. And as a result, when it's fractured between each other, it's fractured maybe in your school or your workplace or your community, maybe in your own neighborhood. Here's what happens. That begins to splinter out. It begins to metastasize, and it begins to cause division and brokenness, a sense of, or a deep sense of a lack of belonging in our cities, in our nation. So how do you resolve a national crisis? Forget nationally, how do you resolve a community crisis? What do we do to help each other feel like we belong, like you can have a place, like you can connect meaningfully? So let me bring you to a story, an ancient story, all right? So let's not talk about America right now, because all of us are still a little on edge, this close to an election. You're all a little nervous. I'm going to say something, you know, a little off. I might do that. But nonetheless, so let's just go way back. Let's go back 2,600 years. Let me, let me put it in context for you. There's this guy named Nehemiah. He was a servant under King Artaxerxes, okay? But he didn't, he was, so Artaxerxes, King Artaxerxes was uh, the king of the nation of Persia. Nehemiah wasn't Persian. Nehemiah was Jewish. He had been, his family had been taken into exile. His city destroyed. He was from Jerusalem. And the Babylonians had come and wiped out the city, tore down its walls and its buildings, destroyed its temple, and took most of the people into exile. A generation goes by, and Nehemiah uh, ends up in Persia because the Persians conquered the Babylonians, yada, yada, wars and all that kind of stuff. Here's Nehemiah, this young man, who hears stories about Jerusalem and that the city is still in mess 140 years later. And his heart breaks because he wishes that his city and the issues in his city could be 
resolved. Maybe you feel a little like Nehemiah. Maybe you look around at the issues and you read the headlines and you think, man, I hear the bad news and I wish we could do something to make it right. Well, Nehemiah, he appeals to God and then he appeals to the king. I want to go home and I want to repair my city. I want to rebuild my nation. And the king gives him permission and so he goes home. He rallies the citizens to rebuild their city. And the first thing they want to do is they're going to rebuild the, the city wall because that was their protection. That was their safety. That was their dignity. And so they begin to work at rebuilding their city, dealing with and addressing the core and fundamental challenges in their city and their country. As they're building, enemies gather against them to fight them. And you know, the moment you start trying to do a good work, there'll always be opposition, people threatening, people intimidating, people trying to discourage you and tell you it can't be done. And that's exactly what Nehemiah and the citizens of Jerusalem face. But because they don't give in, they continue to build, then problems arise from within. And we talked about that in the last message I shared, how there was trouble within brewing. But they work through those troubles. They begin to work together. And eventually this moment happens. And so I'm going to just jump you right into a story. It's written in the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is recorded in the Old Testament of the Bible in sacred history because of how God intervened in written history to show his power and his love. So here is, here's kind of this quick little glimpse of as these people are working together, as they're building, this is the moment that comes. We're going to jump into Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Now that's significant because this was a work that should have taken several years. And they accomplished this work in a month and a half. When all our enemies heard about this, all of the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. Why? Because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Somehow, when people begin to function in e pluribus unum, out of many one, Others looking in, enemies go, people don't do that on their own. This must be the hand of God. So there's a lesson that we can learn from this story of Nehemiah coming home from Persia, rallying his city to rebuild their city, addressing some of the greatest challenges in their city. And then there being this incredible moment when everyone goes, wow. There's something special going on in that city because they rebuilt something that should have never been rebuilt that fast. And what is, what is the principle? What can we draw from that we can say, hey, that works today. That, that works in our lives right now. That can be applied into my home, my neighborhood, my school, my, with my friends. That could help heal my marriage or heal relationships. You know, as we get ready for the holidays, this could work in our lives. This could help bring a change to our city, maybe even our country. And here is the principle. Here is what we see. It's this. Simply, we are better together. Challenge is, I don't know that most of us believe that. I think a lot of us have grown up with this kind of rugged individualism. I can do it on my own. But it doesn't work very well, does it? 
It works for a little while, but eventually you find yourself desperate, disconnected, and disenfranchised. Eventually you find yourself, frankly, just wanting friends, wanting to feel like you belong somewhere. And then this haunting thought begins to stir in our thoughts. Man, I, maybe I do need people. Yeah, you were designed. Deep inside of you, you were made to be better together in relationship with others. Here, here's the thing. It sounds great, doesn't it? To be in real, meaningful community, to have a home where there was a deep sense of unity and love, to, to be able to go to school and have classmates and teachers where you actually cared for each other, to, to be a part of a church where you felt like you belonged, to be in a community, in a city where you could drive down the street and you felt like anyone was a friend. It was like a, some glit clip out of a Cheers episode, you know, like where everybody feels like, you know, family, whatever. I, I don't even remember the song, so now I'm, I feel like it's a bad metaphor. All right, the point is that sounds great, right? Here's the problem. Here's the problem. It will never work. I'll tell you why. Because you and I, we are the problem. You and me, we are hardwired to sabotage our own relationships. Think about yourself. You've said things you didn't mean, and it hurt the people you loved the most. You, maybe you made a vow. Maybe you got married and you made a vow, like for richer, for poor, and sickness and health, till death parts as I will, right? Or I'll do it. And then somewhere along the line, you didn't do it. And when it got poorer and sicker, you thought, this isn't such a good deal. I don't know what I got into. And some bailed. And, 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 and that's just an example of the ways that you and I, we sabotage the relationships with people we actually love the most, let alone people we don't really care that much about. Why do we sabotage these relationships? Because there is an internal drive inside of us called sin. Now, sin is just a biblical term, meaning a, a term that biblical authors use to describe that internal spiritual nature instinct that pushes you and I towards selfishness instead of selflessness. It's what pushes us toward worshiping our own desires Rather than worshiping God, sin sabotages relationships because we look out for ourselves rather than looking out for others. But that's not the worst part of sin. Sin is like a, it's like a paycheck or a pay, uh, like a credit card. You keep charging and charging. And eventually it accumulates a debt, a debt that you have to pay forever, meaning for eternity. It's a spiritual debt motivated by a spiritual drive so that we go on living forever, paying off this debt of sin through spiritual suffering in eternity. That's not good news. That's worse news. Okay, I didn't bring you here. You all didn't come in. You're not tuning in online to hear bad news. So what's the good news? The good news is that God refused to leave us that way. God knew that you and I were in an impossible setup, that we would sabotage the very best relationships we could have. We would wreck our communities. We would destroy our cities and our country with division and hurt and hate, dysfunction. And we would, we would hurt the very people we love. So God intervened in our story. How? Because he came and became one of us. 
Jesus Christ came to earth with the express purpose of taking the collective death sentence that was on each one of us, the eternal death sentence that we owe God, Jesus took it on himself. The shame and guilt that we carry every day, he took it on himself. So that when he died, he died once for all. So that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith is forgiven of their sins. That guilt, shame, judgment for all eternity, forever removed from our lives. And in its place, God gives us his love. His eternal and invisible spirit enters into our eternal invisible spirit. This, this is something supernatural. God's spirit entering into our spirit. And when God's spirit lives in our spirit, something is transformed inside of us. Let me, let me bring you to a letter written by a guy named Paul. This guy, Paul, his name, he, he changed his name from Saul to Paul. Formerly, this guy, Saul, would go around murdering Christians. And one day as he's traveling to another slaughter, he has an encounter with God and his heart is changed. And so instead of killing Christians, he becomes a Christian. And then he starts telling people about Jesus. And he starts churches all across uh, Asia and Europe. And then after he would start a church, he would move on. He got arrested a couple of times. He ends up in prison. And from prison, he wrote letters. One of those letters, which was his second letter to the church in Corinth. He writes this. Now I'm going to jump back to this idea of, about what happens when you believe in Jesus and God's spirit enters into your spirit. Here's Paul writing about this. And he says, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. I mean, you can become brand new. You become something you could have never otherwise been on your own. The old you is gone. The new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. You and I can't do this on our own. On our own, we sabotage relationships and we sabotaged our relationship with God. So God came to earth, became one of us in order to reconcile our relationship with us by taking our debt, our punishment on himself. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith not only is forgiven of their sins and given new life and the promise of eternal life, but has God's spirit in us so that now we are reconciled in a right relationship with God. Check this out. Now, when you are reconciled in right relationship with God, you now can begin to have right relationship with other people. See, if, this, if your vertical relationship is broken, you're never going to be able to have right relationship with anyone else because you go on spending your whole life carrying guilt, shame, and hurt. And guess what? Whatever's in you is going to come out of you. If you've been hurt, you're going to hurt. If you've been rejected, you're going to reject. If you feel betrayed, bitterness is going to come out of you. But when you've been loved by God, when you've been reconciled by God, now you can give something you otherwise never would have. And that's why Paul continues and as he writes this, he has committed to us, meaning God has committed to us, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Because like this, God wants others to know his love. 
God wants others to know that relationship only works when you're in right relationship with him. So what does he do? He first reconciles himself to you, and then he says, now, go tell other people about it. Now, I realize, this is, I'm, I'm going to speak on behalf of God here. God's saying, I realize that most people aren't going to listen to you. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to show them the way you love. You're going to reconcile relationship with others. You're going to forgive people when they can't forgive you. You're going to love them when they wouldn't love you. You're going to open up your home to strength. Rangers. You're going to give to the poor. You're going to, you're going to care for the hurting. And when people see your love, they're going to say, hey, I want what you have. They're going to see the way you get along with your spouse. They're going to see the way your family functions. They're going to see the way you can reconcile with those that you otherwise should not. And people are going to want what you have. Here's how this works. We are better together when God is the one that brings us together. You get that? Meaning this only really works if God is at the center. Outside of it, outside of God being the center of community, we're just trying really hard to do the impossible. And all it's going to take is one offense, one shortcoming, and bam, relationships start falling apart again. But when God brings you together, and you know how much God has forgiven you, you know how much God paid to be in right relationship with you, well then how much should you pay to be in right relationship with others. I mean, there's nothing you couldn't do. There's nothing you couldn't give, right, to make the relationship work with other people because it's God bringing us together. What that means is that it is community through unity with faith in Jesus Christ. We're not just hanging out together as friends. In fact, the number one thing that brings all of us together is simply our faith in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus brings us together, there is nothing that can divide us. No, no political issues. It doesn't matter which way you voted. It doesn't matter if right now you feel like you got your way or you feel like you lost your way. If Jesus brought you together, there's nothing else that really matters right now. It doesn't matter if there is racial tension or economic tension, or maybe you feel confused right now. When you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have a whole family of brothers and sisters. You're, you're better together because God brought you together. In fact, Paul also wrote a letter to another church in the city of Ephesus. And in that letter, he writes this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, you are citizens along with all of God's people. You're citizens of a completely different country. You're citizens of a different city, meaning you're, home, you're not home yet. Your home is in heaven. And so right now, you, you understand you have a citizenship in heaven. You are members of God's family. This is incredible. He's saying, look, you got to look at each other as brothers and sisters. You, you're, you're united. Your community is with faith in Jesus Christ. You see each other as part of a grander family. If you begin to understand that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is your family, and anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ is someone who is potentially part of your family, there's nobody else on earth. Everyone is either in your family or invited into your family. So they're either already adopted or they're potentially adopted. There's no one else. 
everyone's either on the inside or waiting to be on the inside. And it's your job to invite them and welcome them. All right, so let's talk about that. How, does, how do you function when you understand we're better together when God brings us together? Now, what do you do when you come together? Let's, let's talk about this. All right, let me bring you back to the story of Nehemiah. And let me talk about what you do when God brings you together. Nehemiah chapter 3. So this is when they're getting started, right? So we jumped ahead. We're like, they, they rebuilt the city. They finished the wall in 52 days. By the way, there was no political statement in that. All right, I've been a little nervous about preaching to you guys about Nehemiah and this whole idea of rebuilding a wall. I'm a little like, trust me, there's no political agenda here, right? It's just purely a story about an ancient community. I know some of y'all are worried right now. You're like, 52 days. All right. You guys are going to make me lose my train of thought here. Here we go. Nehemiah chapter uh, 3, verse 1. Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work. A bunch of religious leaders who are busy working and they rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of a hundred, which they dedicated as far as uh, the tower of Hanan. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section and Zachar, son of Imri, built, the ne- built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. Now you're like, this is really boring. What does this mean, right? And then the next several verses just keep going. And then this family built this section and this group built this section. And it keeps going. And I'm going to jump all the way down to verse 17. And then I'm going to give you guys like a point that you're going to be like, oh, that's why he read that. Next to him, the repairers were... The repairs were made by the Levites. And then every section continues. And the repairs were made by them. And then next to them, this group repair, right? Here's the point. We are better together when we work together. We actually have to work together. What that means is this. You have a unique responsibility. You have been given a role in rebuilding a community. You have a unique responsibility in working within a family called the church. You have a unique responsibility in the rebuilding of a city, in the rebuilding of a community, in the rebuilding of your neighborhood, in the rebuilding of your own home. God has uniquely gifted each one of us with talents, with an education, with um, a gift, certain gifts. Maybe some of you, you have, you have a, a tremendous intellect and you can speak or think or you can teach you have to teach others, right? Others of you, 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 you've been through law school and you should use your legal abilities to advocate against injustice. Others of you, you have a tremendous gift of compassion and you should be caring for others. You should be loving the hurting. Others, you're, you're generous and you should be giving. Others of you, you have artistic abilities. You should be using those gifts to lift others up, right? You see the point? We all have different gifts and we should be doing our part to rebuild our section of the wall. But you have to do it together, meaning you don't get to build your thing, right? Well, here's what you notice in this story. They built through a network. Everybody had to work together, but they also had to communicate with each other. God is about building networks, not empires. Did you catch that? Oftentimes, I want to build my thing. And you want to build your thing because we compare and we compete. But God's way is not comparison and competition, but cooperation and community. Which means we have to connect 
and communicate and, and work together. How do we come together and work together? That means you have to become part of something bigger than yourself, which means you have to come in to the local church and say, how can I serve? How can I become part of this bigger story? And the church has to work together with other churches. That's why, you know, it's remarkable right now, this For Our City campaign, working with 24 other churches on initiatives to impact our city, saying we're better together. We're going to accomplish more together than we are divided and alone. Instead of comparing and competing with each other, let's come together to serve the greater good of the community. Now imagine all the churches are busy doing their own thing. You can accomplish nearly as much, but if we come together and we say, let's focus on these few things, right? We can work better together. And as you're working together, something amazing begins to happen. I want to read you, um, now I got to find my place here, kind of like lost track here. Here's what happened as they worked together and they built together when everybody started doing their part. You have to start doing your part. You have to find what is my part, what is my gift, and what is, what is my unique responsibility. And then this is how the story concludes. All right, check it out. This is incredible. Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4. Now, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the common people for the registration by families. Here's what began to happen. They said, we've, built, we've rebuilt this great city, but it's bigger than we need just for us. We need to bring others into our home. We need to welcome others into our city. There's people who are still living in exile. There's still people who are living disenfranchised and disconnected. We need to welcome them home. This is beautiful. Because when you come together, because God brings you together, and you start working together, then it concludes with this. When, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all of the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. E pluribus unum. Out of many, one. One man coming together. Not, not a little uh, tribe, tribe in Mexico where there's only so much of a pie to go around. No, they're saying, there's so much pie. We, we should share it with everyone. Let's invite more people in our home. It's like Thanksgiving. I got so much food. If I eat it all, we're all going to be sick to our stomach. You know, like we're going to, you know, just sit there and go, oh, this hurts. I got so much, right? And they're looking at it going, we need to welcome people in. God has been so loving to us. God has been so forgiving. God has given us such a great community. Let's not leave anyone out. And they begin to welcome people in. We are better together when we share life together. Do you get that? When we share life together. What does that mean? It means I have to be willing to open my home to you. Open my home to others. Open my home to strangers. It means I have to care for others. Even those that are not like me. How do you care for someone? Simply take time to listen and love. Take time to understand rather than demanding to be understood. Take time to pray for people in their time of need. Taking time to listen to their needs and being aware of their situation. And then respond through support, leveraging your resources to help those who have less. Lifting up when people are falling. Caring for the broken and the hurting. 
It means that when we share life together, we spend time together. See, y'all, you don't, we don't see each other outside of one gathering. You need to make it a point to invite someone into your home and take someone out for coffee, just building relationship with people. But it also means if I'm going to share life with people, I have to do the hard work of getting along with people. Check it out. When you start building a relationship, eventually you're going to get offended. Somebody needs to do something to irritate you. Think about the people that you have the most conflict with. Aren't they the people you spend the most time with? Right, why? Because that's life. That's how it works. So we have to do the hard work. If we're going to share life together, we have to do the hard work of agreeing to get along with each other, of being quick to forgive and slow to hold grudges, taking time to overlook offenses and give each other benefit of the doubt, even within the church community and beyond the church community, within our community. Forgiving and loving, not holding grudges, not looking for to be offended and holding offenses. Quick to forgive and quick to listen and quick to overlook issues and problems. Seeing each other as part of a family or potentially part of a family. You gotta be willing to share life together. Now let me, let me challenge you. I, I told you that you can't do this horizontal relationship without a right vertical relationship. So let's, let's focus on that for just for a moment. Are you in right relationship with God? If you're not, you don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You understand that you owe a debt you can never pay that would cost you forever. You understand now that God loves you so much that he gave his life to be in a relationship with you. The only thing you can do is respond and receive his love. And if that's where you're at, then your response is simply this. Would you make a commitment to beginning a new life by allowing God to be reconciled in relationship with you by faith? By simply saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I want to start this new relationship with you. It's not about religion. It's not about church. What you, where you go on a Sunday morning or Saturday evening, it's, it's about being in right relationship with God. And he loves you so much. And all your response is simply, Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of that sin and give me new life. Now, if you believe in Jesus, then you have a responsibility to take what you've received vertically and share it horizontally. Understanding you are better together with others by working together and sharing life together. So what one commitment can you make to share what you've been given? How can you begin to become part of community and open your life up to building community with others? Would you take a moment right now and pray? Maybe allow God's spirit to speak to you. Maybe your heart's kind of racing a little bit and you're like, man, I need to get my life right. Now is your moment to just pause and pray and allow God to speak to you. Would you do that right now? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.